All right, last weekend I had a chance to visit our Minneapolis campus for the first time on a weekend, and it was awesome. The look, the sound, the feel, the people, everything about it was really a wow experience. And I met people there who were from St. Louis Park and St. Paul, and they said this is really close for us. And so it just kind of reminded me again that we have an opportunity to invite someone to church. And so if you know somebody who lives in Minneapolis or someplace like St. Louis Park or St. Paul, be an opportunity for you to say, hey, I'll meet you down at church. We can go out to lunch together. I'm a person who gets a little nervous, like, am I going to be able to find parking? Am I going to get in, out? It was so easy. We were in and out. It was, it was a great experience. And so I want to encourage you to be thinking about who you can invite out to that campus. Today, we are continuing on in a series called God on Trial. We're looking at a book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. And if you've never read Habakkuk before, or maybe you've had it read it before, I would, I would encourage you to read it again this week. It's only three chapters long, and here's how Habakkuk begins. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? I mean, how about that for a conversation starter with God? He's just hitting him with it. He's like, I keep crying out. I keep praying. Are you even listening to me? He goes on, and he says, or cry out to you about violence and you do not save. At this time, modern or Israel at that time was in complete moral and spiritual decline. There was violence, there was oppression, there was worshiping of idols. And Habakkuk is looking around, he's going, God, how long are you going to put up with this? How, how long are you going to allow this to continue? You ever felt like that before? I was in an event this past summer with a woman who had lost her husband tragically within the last year. And she had come with a friend that she had met at Grief Share who also had lost her husband within the last year. And during this event, there was about 40, 50 people there. Both of these two women's cars were broken into and their purses were stolen. Of the 50 people at the event, only two people had their cars broken into, and it was these two women who were dealing with the grief of losing their husband within the last year. And when I heard about that after the fact, I just thought, God, are you kidding like, like, how long, God, how, how could that happen? It felt like a punch to the gut. Ever felt like that? Ever been crying out to God, God, how long? How long am I going to be in a marriage like this? How long is my spouse going to be addicted? God, how long am I going to continue to have to look for a job? How long am I going to deal with anxiety or depression? One of the interesting characteristics of Christianity, and I think really the Bible as a whole, is that faithful men and women of God were allowed at times to question God. That's different than most other world religions. Most other world religions, God is so holy, he's so distant, it's like, just keep your mouth shut. But in the Bible, men and women of God who are faithful to God at times question God. Jeremiah the prophet accused God of being deceitful at one point. Thomas doubted God, Jacob wrestled with God, and Habakkuk questions God. It seems that God is not intimidated or bothered by our honest questions. How does God respond to Habakkuk? So Habakkuk says, God, how long are you going to allow this evil to happen? And God says, oh, don't worry, I'm about to do something that's going to blow your mind. And at this point, Habakkuk says, okay, good, what are you going to do? God says, I'm going to raise up the wicked Babylonians who are going to bring judgment and punishment on Israel. And Habakkuk's thinking, that's not what I had in mind at all. You're going to use the Babylonians? They're worse than we are. 
You're going to use them to bring judgment and punishment upon us? At one point, Habakkuk even reminds God, he says, your eyes are too pure to look at evil. And you might wonder, well, why, why would God do that? Why would God use a wicked nation to punish his own people? If you read through the Old Testament, it starts to become a little more clear why. All throughout the Old Testament, God is saying to his people, love me, trust me, follow me, obey me, and they wouldn't do it. They keep worshiping false gods, engaging in sexual sin, oppressing the poor, ignoring God, and finally God gets to this point where he goes, enough is enough. God is a God of love and mercy, but he is also a God of justice. And this brings us to Habakkuk chapter 2 and God's second response, and I'll kind of sum it up for you. God says to Habakkuk, wait. Habakkuk says, how long? God says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to punish Israel. Habakkuk says, well, what about the people like me who are faithful to you? And what God essentially says to him is, you need to wait. Years ago, after church on a Saturday night, our family went out to eat at a restaurant that has kids eat free. And this was a few years ago. And at the time, I had four kids under the age of nine. I mean, I'm Google searching kids eat free, right? Because if I get three adult meals, I can get three free kids meals. This is the cheapest way for our family to function. So we're out to eat, and we sit down at the booth at 551. Now you might wonder, well, how did you know it was 551? There was a bank across the street that had a big clock, 551. We took our order, and then we waited for the food to come. And so I was playing, you know, tic-tac-toe with my son on a napkin. My wife was emptying her purse of anything for our toddler to chew on or play with. We're just trying to kill time. At 6.30, we had been there for 39 minutes, no food. At this point, I'm taking out my phone and I'm asking Siri, have you ever pooped your pants? <laughs> just to make the kids laugh. I'm not for potty talk. Don't hear me say that. I'm against potty talk, especially at the dinner table. But I'm telling you, I was a desperate man. 39 minutes of trying to entertain these kids. Finally, the waiter came over. He said, your food will be right out. At 6.38, 47 minutes after we had sat down, the waiter came back over and he said, actually, the computer malfunctioned. The cooks never got your order. But don't worry, they're starting your food right now. I said, that's okay, tell them not to waste their time. We're just going to leave and go grab some fast food. At this point, the manager came over, and she was extremely apologetic, but she informed us that a couple who had since left the restaurant had paid for our dinner. This must have been a person who recognized me from Eagle Brook. I was humbled. I was honored. But now I thought, we can't leave because this person would have paid for food that nobody ate. And so the manager said, can I bring you a blueberry muffin while you wait? I said, a French silk pie would make me feel much better about this situation. <laughs> now, here's my point. I don't like to wait. You don't like to wait. Nobody likes to wait. But there are going to be times in your life when you're going to start praying about something, you're going to be hoping for something, and here's what God might say to you. Wait. Let's look at a few of these verses with me. Lamentations 
says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Psalm 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Over and over again, the Bible says, wait. Let me ask you, is there a situation or circumstance in your life right now that you have to wait? Maybe you're being forced to wait. You don't even want to wait. You you wish you were in a relationship. You wish you could have another son or daughter. You wish you were in a different job or house or situation. But for whatever reason, you feel like God is saying to you, you need to wait. Now, I don't have the why as to why you are being asked to wait or why you're being forced to wait. But here's what I do know. I know there's times in our life when we have to wait, when what we want is not what we're experiencing, what we're hoping for is not where we're at right now, and we're in that in-between time where we have to wait. And so how do you wait well? Let me show you a few ways right out of the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. The first one is this, wait with perspective. So look at what Habakkuk does, chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, I will stand at my guard post. And I will station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he, what God, will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. In the ancient world, a lookout tower was used to gain perspective. Somebody would say, well, who is that coming down the road towards our town, towards our city? Somebody go up to the lookout tower. Is it an enemy? Is it a friend? You would go to the lookout tower to gain perspective. Is there anyone here today who needs to go to the lookout tower of your life? There's a decision that you're trying to make and you're like, I just don't know what to do about this. Or there's a situation or circumstance and you're you're trying to deal with it, but you're caught in your feelings and in your life. What if you took a half day? What if you took a full day and you just grabbed your Bible and you went alone and you prayed and you sat with God and you said, God, give me your perspective. I want to go to the lookout tower. I want to get out of the weeds of my life and I want to see this from your perspective. One of the verses that helps me to do this, especially when I'm suffering, is Romans 8, 18. Here's what it says. He says, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul's saying, if you were to take all the suffering in your life, if I were to take all the suffering in my life, and I would start to list it out in a column, and then on the other side, I looked at the glory of heaven, and the joy that you'll experience, and the peace that you'll experience, and I started to weigh those two, they wouldn't compare. It's not to to minimize your pain. It's not to minimize your suffering or your hurt, but it's to maximize the joy and the peace that you will feel in eternity one day. In that same chapter, Paul uses the analogy of childbirth. He says it's painful. I've heard that as well. But he says it's it's painful, but what do you get on the other end? Well, you get a child. If you've ever held a child in your hands, 
You know that the glory of that child, that living, breathing baby, far outweighs the pain of childbirth. Paul says it's like that in our life with our suffering. As painful and hard and hurtful as it might be, one day in eternity, it won't compare with the glory that is to come. One author says that saying the phrase, it could be worse, it could be worse, can be a powerful exercise in the development of joy. So he says, if you're tempted to think, you know, if I had a nicer, newer, more expensive car, then I'd be happy. You need to get to your car today. You need to sit in there, smell the air freshener, and just say these words out loud. It could be worse. If you're tempted to think that you, if you had a nicer, newer, more expensive house, that then you'd be happy in life, you need to walk into your house later today, look around and say, could be worse. If you're tempted to think if you had a nicer, newer, more expensive spouse, then you would be happy in life. You need to wake up tomorrow morning, look across the pillow, and just say those words out loud. It could be worse. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend saying that out loud. But here's what happens when I say the phrase, it could be worse. I start to thank God for what I do have. I get out of the perspective where I'm focused on what I don't have and what's bothering me and what's hard in my life. And I start to thank God for what I do have. I go, God, I have life. I have breath. I have Jesus Christ. I have a relationship with him. I start listing out all the things that I do have in my life, and it changes my perspective. Here's another verse from Romans 8. Paul says this, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. That's a different perspective. It's a privilege to trust Jesus Christ. We all know that. We all feel that. But when you're suffering, it's a different perspective to say, God, this is a privilege. God, I trust that you have a plan. I believe that you can use this for my good. I believe that you can grow my perseverance and my character. And so I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to wait with perspective. Here's the second way to wait well, and it's this. We have to wait with patience. So Habakkuk goes up to the tower. He's awaiting for a response from God, and, and he gets it. Says, the Lord answered me, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. A tablet was made of stone. So this indicates to me right away that this vision might not happen for a while. If it's going to happen tomorrow, he might just say, remember this. Like he could probably remember it if it was happening tomorrow. If it was happening next week, he might have said, write this on some parchment paper. But the minute you're inscribing something on a stone tablet, it's going to be here for you know, centuries, it's an indication you might have to wait. And this is reinforced in the rest of the verse. He says, for the vision is yet for the appointed time, though it delays, though it seems delayed from your perspective, Habakkuk, wait for it. 
since it will surely come and not be late. When my wife was pregnant with our oldest son, she called me at work. She said, it's time. And I was at work. I was assembling a desk in my office. And we had had two false alarms earlier that week. And so I said to her, I said, this is so exciting. I said, I'll be right home. Just let me finish putting the legs on this desk. I just got a, you know, Allen wrench here. That didn't go over super well. Because when it's time, it's time. And the same is true with God. You can't speed God up. You can't slow God down. What may appear to be a delay from our perspective, from God's perspective, is happening exactly at the appointed time. Is there something in your life right now that feels delayed? Is there something in your life that you're going, God, I thought I'd be here and I'm not. I I thought this would have happened by now, but it hasn't. Here's what I want to remind us of today. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. You might be praying about something and God's answer to you might not be no. God's answer to you might be wait. God might not be saying no to your prayer. He might not be denying your prayer. He might simply be delaying it. God's delays are not the same as God's denials. But if you're experiencing something in your life that feels delayed, that's hard. Because nobody likes to wait. Who, who likes to wait? That was painful. That was painful for me. More than it was painful for you. If you're at a campus right now, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what, production guy, what's going on here? I mean, come on, buddy, get done with the message. I've got places to go. I've got people to see. I don't want to wait. But here's what's going to happen sometimes. You're going to pray about an issue in your life, about a decision in your life, and here's what you might hear from God. Silence. And when you feel like God is not hearing your prayer, when you feel like God is not responding to your prayer, here's a verse that I want you to remember. And I want you to memorize this verse. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. See, the tendency when we don't hear God and we don't sense that God is hearing our prayers is to go, fine, I'll do it myself. And we just start to get anxious and frantic and we start running around and we're just going, I'm going to figure this all out. Just be still. Just be silent. And know that he is God. Know that he keeps his promises. Know that you can trust him. Know that he is good. Know that his delays are not the same as his denials. See, what happens to a lot of people is either they get frantic and they say, well, fine, I'm going to do this on my own. Or they go, well, I guess God doesn't answer prayers. I'm just going to quit praying. Or or I thought God was leading me to volunteer, but it didn't go so well, so I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to leave early. Years ago, I was at a Twins game with my son Hudson. It's bottom of the eighth inning. Twins were down five to three. First guy up walked, and Eddie Rosario came up. Eddie Rosario is not on the team anymore. He was a fixture for years. And I leaned over, and I said to my son Hudson, I said, hey, we're going to leave after Rosario bats. I'm a leave early guy. 
Okay, I don't want to sit in the ramp for 20 minutes waiting for people to get their ticket in. and get, I just don't want to deal with that. So I said, hey, we're going to leave early. And right away, Hudson's like, no, I want to stay for the whole game. Please, please, please. And he starts like going back and forth. Finally, Hudson says to me, well, if Eddie Rosario hits a home run, we get to stay. I looked up at the scoreboard that had Eddie Rosario's stats. At that point in the season, he had hit zero home runs. He was batting 200. I said, fine. If Rosario hits a home run, we'll stay. Next pitch, 418 feet, dead center, gone. <laughs> Hudson's jumping up and down. We get to stay. We get to stay. He's like high-fiving people. I get to stay. People thought he was nuts. But he, don't we do this with God? Think about this with me. What would have happened if the Israelites had marched around the city of Jericho six times, blowing their trumpets, waiting for the walls to come down, and after six times, they said, this is dumb. This is, what are we doing? We're walking around a city, blowing trumpets. We look foolish. Let's go home. Let's leave early. They would have missed the miracle. Because on the seventh time, the walls came down and God gave them victory. When Noah built an ark, it was 120 years from when he built the ark until when the rains came. His neighbors come up to him, dude, why do you have a huge boat in your front yard? Well, it's going to rain. It's going to rain a lot. You've been saying that for a hundred years, Noah. It's not going to rain. What would have happened after year 118 if Noah had said, well, I guess I got some bad intel from God. I mean, I'm just going to tear this ark down. He would have died in the flood. My point is, don't quit. Don't leave early. You might miss the miracle. You might miss the answer to your prayer. God's delays are not the same as God's denials. Third way to wait well, and it's probably the most important, it's this, wait with faith. I think the most important verse in the book of Habakkuk is found in chapter 2, verse 4, and it says this, the righteous will live by faith. What does that mean? That, that verse gets picked up in Romans chapter 1. It gets picked up in Galatians chapter 3. It's really an important verse in the New Testament. The righteous will live by faith. But, but what does that actually mean? It means that if I were to ask you, are you right with God? And let me just ask you that. Are you right with God? And most of us would probably say, yes, I am. But, but then if I asked you, why? Why are you right with God? How would you respond to me? Think, think about the answer to that in your head right now. How would you respond if I said, well, why are you right with God? If your answer would be, well, because I'm a spiritual person. Or I'm a religious person. Or I'm a good person. I mean, yeah, I make some mistakes, but you know, in, in general, I'm a good person, so I'm right with God. I want to lovingly tell you that that is not how a person gets right with God. We are not righteous. We are not right with God because of our works. We're not right with God by being a spiritual person, good person, religious person. We're right with God. We're righteous when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
When we live by faith, the name Habakkuk means to wrestle with or to embrace, which is interesting because oftentimes when you're praying about something and you're not seeing an answer to your prayer and you're having to wait, what is it that we should do? Habakkuk, embrace God, grab onto God, don't let go. Live by faith, not by sight. You say, I've been praying about this health issue for years and I'm not seeing any progress at all. Embrace God, Habakkuk. Just grab onto him and live by faith. That person broke up with me and I'm, I'm heartbroken over it. You need a Habakkuk. Don't live by sight. Don't live just by what you can see, but live by faith, by believing in the promises and the truth of God. I was reading through the book of Habakkuk this week at the same time that I was watching the news and I was seeing what was happening in modern day Israel. And I don't know if it's just me, but the parallels seemed hard to miss. Here's Habakkuk and he's going, God, how long are the wicked going to prosper? How long, God, are, we, are you going to allow this evil to continue to take place? I saw three videos this week. One of them was of a young woman who was being kidnapped by Hamas. And as she's being taken away on a moped or some sort of motorcycle, she has this look on her face. And she reaches out to this man, must have been her boyfriend or her friend or her brother. She reaches out and the look of panic and desperation in her eyes. Saw another video of two members of Hamas seated in the back of a pickup truck. One of them was holding a rocket launcher. One of them was holding a machine gun. There was a naked body flat down in front of them with blood on it. And they were leaning up against this presumably dead, I don't know, but naked body face down, at least unconscious, leaning up like it was a bench, just propped up against it. And this truck was driving through a street and there was crowds of people who were running alongside the truck celebrating and chanting and this one man looked over the side of the pickup truck and he saw this naked body lying face down motionless and he spit on it. Saw another video of an Israeli family in a basement or a bunker the father had blood caked on his face and blood on his arm. He was holding his six or seven-year-old son in his arms who was just weeping and, and hysterical. He was seated next to his wife and their what appeared to be 12-year-old daughter. And he looked at the 12-year-old daughter and he said, he's not coming back. And I don't know who he was, if it was a brother, if it was a grandparent, or what it was, but apparently this person didn't make it to the basement, they didn't make it to the bunker. And so he said to her, he's not coming back. And you watch this 12-year-old girl try to process death, and the suddenness of it, and she has this confused look on her face and then the tears begin to well up as she realizes what her dad means by those words. That he's not coming back. 
as I draw parallels between Habakkuk and modern day situation, I want to just be clear about one parallel I'm not making. In the book of Habakkuk, we hear God saying, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to bring judgment or punishment upon Israel. We don't know that today. We don't know or we haven't heard God say that he's raising up Hamas against Israel. I'm not making that comparison at all. But do you see why Habakkuk is so upset? Do you feel the anger and the emotion to say, God, how long? How long are the wicked going to prosper? How long are you going to allow evil to take place? And God responds back to Habakkuk, and it's not like he gives him this big you know, declaration of why suffering and evil exists. He doesn't start, here's five reasons why I allow evil and suffering in the world. He doesn't even get into any of that. I want to read to you the last verse in Habakkuk chapter 2. Here's what it says. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. It may appear that the world is out of control. But Habakkuk, here's what you need to know, and here's what you and I need to know today. The Lord is in his holy temple. He rules, he reigns, he's in control. The Babylonians might be wicked, Hamas might be wicked, but God is not out of control, God is not out of touch. And there is coming a day, the Bible declares that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Jesus Christ. And there is coming a day when the whole earth will be silent before the Lord. They will be still and they will know that he is God. And the Bible says if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to see him face to face in his holy temple. And he will wipe every tear from your eye. He will wipe every tear from that little 12-year-old girl sitting in a basement in Israel. The God of this universe will reach down and will wipe the tears from her eyes. That there is coming a day when God is going to make every wrong right. Maybe you're experiencing something in your life that is painful and hard and it's not right. And you long, you wait for that day when God will wipe those tears from your eye and you wait and you long for that day when God will make everything right. I want to show you the story of a couple who or a family has been attending our church since 1997. And as we did this past Easter, we said to write on a card, what's a miracle you're asking God to do? And, and they wrote something down. And we became aware of their story. Take a look. My name is Lori. My husband, Bart, and I have been married for 22 years. And we own a gymnastics club in White Bear Lake. It's just always been part of our lives and a big passion of ours. We have three daughters, but this story is about our youngest daughter, Sophia. We had Sophia in 2005. 
She's very charismatic. She's very strong-willed and very driven. She loved gymnastics. It really was a passion of hers, and she just would do anything to be the best that she could be. As Sophia got a little bit older, she started changing a little bit, and we started seeing a little bit of self-destructive behavior. It was hard for Bart and I to watch that, but we thought, you know, she's the teenager. She's going through different phases. She's testing us a little bit. And then she started pulling away, and she was spending her time in her bedroom. And she would start wearing different clothes and different makeup and things that weren't typical of her. So we started noticing just little changes like that. Early in her senior year, it just took a drastic turn. She just was in this really deep, dark place. And she came to me and she said, Mom, I think I have an eating disorder and I need help. I called the doctor right away and they told me that it was a month waiting list to be seen. During that month, she just got worse and worse and we started really seeing the effects of it and what she was doing to herself. She lost 30 pounds in that month, and she was sleeping 23 hours every day. I called them all the time, like, please, can you see her sooner? She's really not doing good. She had no self-love. In fact, she just hated herself, and there was nothing that we could do to help her. We finally got her in to the doctor, and they told us she need to go to the hospital right away. She'd lost so much weight and her organs were shutting down. That was the really scariest part. And then when she was at the hospital, I just thought I'm gonna get a call from them that, you know, she's not with us anymore. Like that's how bad it was. So as a parent, all we could do in this situation was pray. You go to bed and you pray, and you wake up and you pray, and you get in your car and you pray. And you know, the prayers were a lot of, please God, help Sophia. But then a lot of the prayers were, help me find a way to trust you. And you just keep telling yourself, I know God that you have a plan. I know you have a plan. I have to put my faith in you. That's, that's all we had. But it's hard. So she was there with them for eight weeks and was stable enough that she could come home. She still had to spend a lot of time in therapy and with doctors and dietitians, but she was under our control then at that point as far as her eating went. We had to plan everything, we had to cook everything, we had to watch her eat, observe her eat. She couldn't make any decisions at all for herself. And she was almost 18 at this point and she was being treated like a five-year-old. It was about six months that this had gone on until she turned 18. And she told us that, I don't want your help anymore. You know, once they're 18, they can completely cut us off. And it wasn't long after that that she started losing weight and getting worse and worse and pulling away more. And then at her last appointment, they told her, you're going back to the hospital, Sophia. You've lost too much weight. You're not eating. And she said, no, I'm not going. And she was done. So 
When she told us that she was done with doctors, done with therapists, her dad and I were terrified. You know, we thought, what's going to happen now that she's not getting any help? But then slowly we started seeing small changes in her. And then one day she asked me to go to church with her on Easter. And so we went to church, Sophia and I did that morning. And when we got there, they handed out the It Would Take a Miracle cards. And I wrote on mine that it would take, it would take a miracle to heal Sophia from her eating disorder. And, you know, I just prayed on that that day. You know, I'm sitting next to her in church and I'm just like shaking, saying, well, you know, just please let this be the time that you hear our prayers. And I felt like, like I just felt at that moment that he just, like he heard me and he just reached down and wrapped his arms around Sophia and said, I got you, Sophia. It's almost like that moment, like everything started changing. It was a process, it wasn't overnight. It takes time for sure, but you'd see little pieces of Sophia showing again and you'd see her smile. She started to go to church and started reading the Bible and she was talking about what Jesus is doing in her life all the time. And at the same time when that was happening, and she was eating more, and she was gaining weight, and she was getting better. It was just little by little, but it was, you know, just a transformation that was happening right in front of our eyes, and something we'd been praying for for months and months and months. Hi. Hi, hon. How are you? Good. I'm about to go to practice. How's class today? It was boring. At one point, we thought, she's not gonna get out of bed again. And to get to the point that she had her strength back and she was healthy and she was doing her sports again was really exciting. And then in July, she was baptized at Eagle Brook. And in August, we took her to Western Kentucky University and she was able to start college in the fall. All right, hon, well, I gotta get going. So I miss you, I love you. I can't wait to see you next weekend. Bye, I love right. you. You know, you pray and pray and, you know, you do get discouraged sometimes and you think all these prayers that I'm putting out there and I'm giving to you, when are you going to hear us? And it was just like the timing was like she was at her very lowest and she had given up on everybody else in her life and all the doctors on all of her family. She gave up on everyone that was trying to help her. It was just like... She had to be there. She had to be that deep and dark in order for her to like open her heart for him to work in her. She so desperately needed him. And like that's when he said, I got you, I'm here. Let's do this. Let's get you through this. Let's get you better. And it did. Sophia wanted to share her story because maybe there was someone who needed to hear that this weekend. To take a step to get help, to take a step to press into God. 
She's been growing a lot in her faith. God's been doing a great work in her life. Maybe you're a parent and you resonate with seeing your son or your daughter struggle through something. And you want to control it and you want to fix it. But you can't. And so you pray and you pray. And sometimes it feels like God hears our prayers and responds and then other times it feels like he doesn't. And so we're waiting. And I want to encourage you this week to wait with perspective, to, to try to get God's perspective on this situation, to get out of our feelings and the day-to-day -day of our life and say, God, what, what, do you, what do you see? And then to wait patiently. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't miss out on the miracle that God might want to do in your life. But live with faith. Walk with faith. You may not be seeing it right now with your physical eyes. What you might be seeing is something that you don't want to see. But when you walk with faith and you trust in the promises of God and you trust in the character of God and who God is, you can begin to wait with an assurance of knowing that God is good. And God can take even the most difficult events in our life and he can use them for our good. Let's pray together as we close. God, I pray for anyone here today who's waiting. That what they hoped for is not what they're experiencing. What they're dreamed that would happen is not happened. And they're waiting and they're praying. And they're hoping and they're calling out to you, God. God, I pray that this weekend would remind them that you hear them that you are good, that you are trustworthy, that you are loving. And God, sometimes for reasons that we don't necessarily understand, we wait. And it might seem delayed from our perspective, but from your perspective, God, it's going to happen at exactly the right time. I pray that you would cause that kind of faith, that kind of belief to rise up within us, Lord. We're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to trust in you. We're going to continue to live by faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray right now for the people of Israel, people living in the Gaza Strip. Pray for your protection over the innocent. I pray for your healing that would happen in that region. And God, we wait. We wait for a day when there's no more evil, there's no more suffering. We look forward to that day, Lord, when you will make every wrong right and you will wipe every tear from our eyes. God, we wait in faith in Jesus Christ who gave up his life for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, maybe there was something in today's message that you said, boy, I need prayer. Screw people down front at your campus who would love to pray for you. Come on down, and they'll be praying. We'll see you next week.